You're listening to teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. All right, good morning. Uh, we are in Luke chapter 2, so if you got your Bible or your Bible app, you're welcome to go uh, turn to Luke chapter 2. Uh, we'll be in that scripture today. Uh, do y'all remember uh, Linus from Charlie Brown? You know, the dude with the blue blanket? Well, he made these verses famous uh, when he said to Charlie Brown, Sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you. Uh, what Christmas is all about. And as we read these verses, I know for me, because of the nostalgia of Christmas, I can kind of hear Linus's voice in my mind. Uh, but to give you a little context of Luke chapter 2, uh, this is the Christmas story. This is the reason for Advent. It's the birth of Jesus. This is the most... Uh, it's, it's not a Christmas legend. Uh, it's a real moment in real time, in recorded history. There was a decree from Caesar Augustus that everyone should be registered in a census. This happened to real people. Mary and Joseph made their pilgrimage to Bethlehem, their assigned census site, and they were to give birth. It happened in a real place. They arrived in Bethlehem, and there was no room for them in an inn, so she gave birth in a first-century stable or or barn. And they laid their little baby in a feeding trough for for animals. It's a really unlikely story or way to welcome a king. It's it's not the way you welcome the king into the world. Uh, The other day at the table, uh, we were eating dinner, and we had these little um, Advent conversation cards. Uh, And we'd pull one out, and one of the kids would read it, and then we'd go around the table, and we would answer uh, accordingly. And so Zoe, my oldest, read one, and it said, why are you thankful Jesus was born? And like, without skipping a breath, my six-year-old, Toby, spurted out. He's like, because then he could make me and I could play with toys. (laughs) Hey, parents, we're all trying, right? I mean, just, we're doing our best. But I was uh, kind of reflecting on that a little bit, and the, the song uh, came to me, He has come for us, this Jesus. He's the hope for all mankind. He has come for us, the Messiah, born to give us life. This little boy is the fulfillment of countless promises and a myriad of desperate hopes. Jesus Christ, eternal Son of God, taking on flesh to save people like me and you. He has come for us. So we're going to pick up in verse 8, Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And it says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. So shepherds, they're pretty unlikely grouping in this story. So you're kind of familiar with the story, and we know some angels are about to come into the story and and make an announcement. And I just wanted you to know that, that shepherds are an unlikely group to make a huge announcement, just like a a manger is an unlikely place for a king to be born. You see, shepherds were, um, uh, they lived in the open, they lived out uh, in the sky, uh, in the sky, they lived out with the night sky, they were watching over sheep. You know, uh, in a lot of ways, shepherds were kind of an outcast and isolated. 
So they couldn't even be a part of the community uh, because they, they couldn't leave the sheep. They were always watching and on guard. Uh, it Kind of when you think about being a shepherd, it's not the job you hoped for. It's the job you ended up with. You know, it's like, it's not, it's not the desired thing. But here, this announcement is made to a group of shepherds. And I think it's a reminder of what we've been talking about this whole Advent season, is that the, the good news, it comes to the humble and the lowly. The good news comes to the doubting and the downcast. And the good news has come to the isolated. In verse 9, it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And it's kind of, to me, like a nada. Of course, they were feel, feared, uh, filled with fear because they are doing their normal job. They're in the night. They're, they're, they're outside under the stars. It's dark. They might have a fire. They're just doing their shepherding things. No one is thinking, hey, you know what? Maybe an angel is going to show up today. Maybe, maybe today is that day. But then all of a sudden, an angel appears, and he's filled and backlit with the glory of the Lord. And I don't really know what that means. Like, I don't have a good description, but my assumption is it's bright. You know, it's like all of a sudden, darkness becomes lit up. The sky is lit up. And, and I think that would cause a lot of fear. But also... Who, who was present? An angel of the Lord was present. Now, we have this idea that an angel might be a cute little cherub playing a harp. But the way the Bible describes angels is these are God's spiritual warriors, and most of the time, their presence is an indication of war. So these isolated shepherds, their whole night is disrupted. The sky is bright with an angel and he says to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The angel tells the shepherds, do not be afraid, because I'm not here to bring war. I'm here to bring good news. This is the same word in our Bibles. It's translated gospel, the good news. And that word is derived from a declaration of victory. The king, uh, oftentimes, after a battle and they had won, would send a messenger back home to declare victory. And that is what gospel means. That is the good news. They're declaring victory. The battle has been won. It's a term of great relief. Uh, it's not a celebration good news like uh, we celebrate good news when our football team beats our rival. And it's kind of a big deal because you get to talk about it for a whole year. <laughs> but it's beyond that. This kind of good news is a celebration of life. The enemies aren't going to kill us. They are not going to take our daughters. They are not going to enslave our sons. We have victory. It's good news. The gospel and it's good news for all people, not just the elites, not just for the Jews who have been waiting for centuries for the promised Messiah, but for all the world, for all those who believe in Christ. This is good news of great joy for them, for us. 
Verse 11, it says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothing and lying in a manger. The pronouncement that the angel makes is good news. A Savior, Christ the Lord, has come. He has come for us. And the description there is Jesus is the Savior. Christ came to save. He brings salvation for those who believe. This is sin has separated us from him, from God. And within us and around us, everything is broken. We need forgiveness. We need salvation. We need to be saved from ourselves, saved from sin, saved from God's holy, righteous anger. And Jesus came to save us. His pronouncement also is uh, Jesus is the Christ, and the word Christ means uh, anointed one. It's a New Testament word for Messiah. Jesus is the promised one. He's the one prophets for thousands of years have said was coming into the world. He's the one who fulfills the covenant promises. He is the one that they have been waiting for. He is the fulfillment of their hope, and and yet he is better than they could ever have imagined. He is the Christ. Also, the pronouncement says that Jesus is the Lord. He is God become man in a wonderful mystery of God. Jesus is fully God, fully man. And in being fully God, he is Lord. He rules, he reigns. That little baby in the manger is still the Lord of history. In him, all things were held hold together, as Colossians says. He's still sovereign, ruling, and reigning. He's the king. So the angel makes this pronouncement, good news, victory has come because a baby has been born. Christ, the Savior, the Savior who takes away the sins of the world, the Christ who fulfills all that was promised, the Lord who defeats all enemies and reigns forever as king. Good news of great joy because he has come. Verse 13. 13, and suddenly there was uh, with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, okay, so if the night couldn't be weirder, so they're just doing their shepherding thing, sky opens up, there's an angel, the glory of the Lord is around them. That's weird enough. That's something uh, to, to be like, oh, this wasn't a normal day. <laughs> but not... Not just that. It says that there were a multitude, and by multitude, this could be hundreds, if not thousands, of heavenly hosts came out. It's like an explosion of angels in the sky. It's a big deal. And I I would dare say, at least for me, I assume for many of y'all, we have sung songs about this. We have heard stories about this. We, we have uh, thought about it, but maybe that impact hasn't resonated with us. That on one day, a multitude of heavenly hosts were here. And, and the reason it's a big deal is you will not find that anywhere else happening. It never happens on earth. The only time you hear about a multitude of angels praising is in heaven. Except for this one time. 
as if they knew something else was up. And it's like the throne room opened up and the angels were there because they knew what was happening. They knew that he had come. They knew that Jesus was God incarnate. They knew that divinity was born as a human baby. They had to witness it. They had to be there. This day was different than any other day. Everything the world had been longing for, waiting for, was being fulfilled in a baby. And the angels were there to celebrate and to take take and bear witness. Verse 14, it says uh, that they said, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Glory to God, he is victorious. And with his victory, he brings peace. Peace to all that is broken. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And the word shalom doesn't just mean the absence of conflict. It doesn't just mean the absence of things that are bad. Shalom means the presence that everything is good and as it's supposed to be. A theologian, Plantinga, said, Shalom is universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. Shalom is the way things are supposed to be. Let me give you a couple of uh, word pictures to help you get and understand the word shalom. Shalom refers to a garment or a piece of fabric that is sewn perfectly together. There is no thread out of place. There are no tears. There are no rips. Everything fits as it should be, intertwined, working the way it's supposed to be. Another word picture is, is the idea of, uh, back, back then they didn't necessarily have the bricks, but a, a building stone that doesn't have a crack or a blemish. It's perfectly usable to build upon. Uh, another uh, imagery of shalom is a wall, like a stone wall, that's completely level, that's completely in place, that doesn't have anything missing or is it twisted? It, it's as it should be. Another description is a, it's like a shepherd when he counts his sheep and they are all there. It's shalom. It's wholeness. It's flourishing. It's rest. Everything as it should be. And the way the Bible talks about God's creation is that God created, and after everything he created, he said, it is good. And he created it as good. He created uh, and it is good. And then he uh, created man and woman. And when he was done, he rested. And he said, it's very good. Because everything was in shalom. Everything fit together perfectly. Everything worked as it was supposed to work. There was nothing out of place. There was nothing broken. There was nothing astray or awry. It was how it was meant to be. It was in shalom. But then we know Genesis 3 happened. And our first parents, Adam and Eve, they believed the oldest lie in the book. They believed that they couldn't trust, fully trust God, that maybe God didn't know what was best for them. Maybe God didn't want what was good for them. Or maybe God doesn't really love them. Or that they would be better off, happier, more joyful if they did not submit to God. And so they rebelled against God and sin entered the world. And at that moment, all the peace, the wholeness, and the flourishing is broken. 
it's bent, it's fractured. All relationships are now bent and broken, cracked and strained, and you know it and I know it. We feel it in ourselves, the fracture, and we see it all around us. It's broken. This isn't how it's supposed to be. Shalom was replaced with turmoil. One way people talk about this is it created turmoil with God. Adam and Eve rejected God's authority, choosing autonomy, and instantly their shalom was broken. You see that after this, they run and they hide because they're now separated from God. And the reality is they pass that on to us. We too have believed the lie. We too have rebelled. We too have turned from God. And there's turmoil in our relationship with God. There's also turmoil uh, within ourselves. Their shalom with themselves is broken. They actually realized that they were naked after this act. And they sewed together fig fig leaves to cover themselves up. This was the birthplace of all insecurity, all shame, all pretending. It's uh, sometimes that that depression or anxiety that we feel inside. It's the uh, internal monologue that won't leave us alone. That says we're not lovable or we're not good enough or we're a coward. We feel it inside of us. It's broken. It's bent. It's not how it's supposed to be. And of course, it creates turmoil with others. Their shalom with each other and other humans is broken. There was no hatred. There was no jealousy. There was no violence. And very soon after, we see the first murder. And even when God comes to Adam, the first thing he does is blame. It's her fault whom you gave me. All relationships are fractured and broken. One of the easiest ways to illustrate this is one Adam uses all the times. Uh, If you go into your pocket or your purse, one of the things you're going to pull out is keys. And the reason you have keys is not because there are dangerous animals out there. They can't turn the knob. They don't have opposable thumbs. We have keys because of each other. Because we're afraid somebody's going to take something from us or hurt us or harm us. Because there's turmoil with others. There's turmoil with creation. Shalom with creation was broken. From that point forward, uh, work of the man is cursed with difficulty and frustration. Creation fights back as we try to subdue it. Because everything is cracked. Everything is broken. If you dislike your job, this is why. For, for women, childbearing and your relationship with your husband is cursed with difficulty. So if your marriage is hard, this is why. If your family drives you crazy, this is why. If you have relationships that are broken, this is why. This is why some people are marginalized and oppressed. This is why some people take advantage of others. This is why we have systems that are corrupt and broken. This is why racism exists. This is why poverty exists. This is why sickness and death and disease are all part of life now because it's broken. It's all broken. And you feel it. And you see it everywhere around us. 
So in light of that, hear with me what the angel said. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, shalom. Everything that is broken is going to be put back together. It's going to be made right. It's going to be fitted as it should be. The angels proclaim it. The multitude is gathered. The throne room of heaven has come to bear witness because victory is at hand. The angels know what is happening. They've been waiting, and now they're proclaiming the coming of Jesus, the one who will restore all things, the one who will bring peace. The Prince of Peace has arrived. You see, Jesus restores our peace with God, our estrangement, our fear, our disgust, our arrogance, all that separates us from him, and all of it is nailed to the cross with him, our record, our transgressions. Above all, we need shalom with God to be restored, and he offers it to us through the precious blood of his son. We are now accepted by God on Christ's behalf. Our sin debt is paid. We are counted as righteous. The turmoil between us and God has been made right because he came for us. Which begins to, and this peace we have with God, it begins to flow into our relationship with self. Jesus restores peace within us. He's curing the shame, the guilt, the insecurity our sin brought. I imagine there are quite a few in the room. At some point you have thought, sure, God can forgive me, but I can't forgive myself. And I just want to give you some good news. When you die, you're not going to be standing in front of a mirror. You're going to be standing before God. Your forgiveness is not the decisive factor. God's is. And you are not above God, or your sense of justice is not above God's. When God in Christ declares you are forgiven, you are forgiven. He restores the peace in us. Which leads to, he restores peace in our relationships with each other so that we can love, we can serve, we can bless, we can practice all those one another's that we're consistently talking about as a church. We can bear with, we can carry uh, one another's burdens, we can forgive one another, we can be patient with one another, we can serve one another, we can love one another because God has loved us and he's bringing peace to us and God peace in ourselves and peace to our relationships. And then one day he will fully restore peace to our relationship to creation. Our promise and hope is Revelation 21 that says that Jesus will return and he's going to put everything that was broken, fractured, and busted back together. Everything that sin has ruined, he will make right. And there will be no more sickness no more disease, no more pain, no more tears. And that's because he came for us to reconcile us 
in all things to himself. So this Advent season, this is the promise. It's a promise of peace. But we all know that the promise we have is not fulfilled completely. We know Jesus has come and that his kingdom is here, but it's not finished. And we kind of live in the already but not yet state. And what I mean by that is, while those of us who trust in Christ have peace with God, we still wrestle with shame and guilt and doubt and disobedience. While we have peace with our souls, we still experience anxiety, worry, depression, and the internal pressure to hide or perform. While we have peace with others, we still uh, can struggle with gossip, division, hatred, and jealousy. While we have peace with creation, we still have very real suffering, hurt, pain, and we see death around us. So it's a reminder to us that Advent is not just a season of remembering. It's also a season of anticipating. The dual meaning and celebration of Advent, we celebrate that Christ has come for us, but we also celebrate that he's coming back. And he's not coming back as a baby in a manger, but he's coming back as a king, ruling and conquering. He will make it all right. <clears throat> and all things will be made right. There will be peace with creation as there will be no more sickness, no more death, no more crying, no more pain. Peace with others as people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation will worship God together. Peace with our souls as we take the form of our new bodies that is free from sin and shame and guilt and most importantly, peace with God as he will dwell among us and those who trust in Christ will be his people forever. The promise of peace, we experience it now, but the promise is we will, we will experience in fullness. Peace, shalom, the flourishing, the wholeness, all of it. The great kingdom of peace has begun, but we wait until it's fulfilled. And that's what we're doing in Advent. We remember that the Prince of Peace brings peace. And he's in the process of making all of it right. And even though we feel the brokenness now, some of us, especially during the holiday season, we anticipate that all will be made right, that ultimately shalom is coming.